Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 12.40 KFH. Caught! Touchdown! Kansas City! Hey, Chiefs Kingdom, we have you covered. Joining Sports Daily Live, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel. And welcome in. We haven't heard that in a while. Glad to hear it as we welcome back Dan Israel for the first time here on the program. Dan, uh, I hope the offseason treated you well. I know it's been chaotic. It certainly is now as we're just a couple days from a game week. This is, you know, it's different timing than we'll normally have you on a game week. But we'll have you Tuesdays this fall. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, man, we're uh, we're ready. I, this is, you know, it's been... It's, it always feels longer until we get to this point and we're waiting on this point. This one maybe has felt longer too, Dan, and we can start here because we keep waiting to see what, what's going to happen with Chris Jones. And I guess the answer is we still don't know what's going to happen with Chris Jones. But at this point, and I don't think anybody's counting on him being there against the Lions on Thursday. Yeah, I think that's unfortunately the truth. And I think the uh, you know for fans who is still – May feel like they just got off the Eric Berry uh, roller coaster, and now the you know we're on this Chris Jones roller coaster. I don't understand it, guys. I mean, I I don't. The math doesn't work. Um, the the premise that Chris had stated early in the off season that he wanted to be a chief forever doesn't coincide with what's going on right now. But I think the one positive is that they finally started communicating again. You can't work out a deal unless you're talking. And there for a while, I think the Chiefs were really frustrated that, you know, Chris's camp just wasn't talking. And so I think it's uh, it's moving in a direction now. And and I and as a fan, that's what I want most. I, you know, look, if we have to play without Chris, they trade him, whatever, then that's so be it. But that, that, that kind of purgatory of not knowing from week to week, and I just don't want to go through that again. I think that's harder on a team than just knowing, hey, we've got to, We've got to fill that position. We've got to find out a solution for that position, and it's not going to be Chris Jones. Or in the case of doing a deal, you know, it's done. Chris Jones will be in, in, the, in the building the following week, and we can get back to work and, and try to go win another championship. But, yeah, it's a little frustrating, isn't it? It, it is. I, you know, I, I, I became concerned about this, Dan, at OTAs when there was a holdout that – there was something here that did, you know, at the time it was like, oh, it's no big deal. It's all going to get worked out. But like for me, we, and we, it's, I think it may be just because recent history with the Chiefs, like they're, they're, they've told us through certain things, right? Matthew being gone, uh, Orlando Brown being gone, Tyreek Hill, probably the best comparison here. Like they, they aren't going to waver from what they feel like they need to do long term and they're not afraid to, make difficult decisions. So, you know, do is there do you think we have like lines in the sand here, I guess, or do you think there's still room for either side to still get together and make this thing work out? And if there's not, like at what point does Chris Jones have to report basically so that he can accrue this year of service time? Well, the the I'll answer the second part of the question first cuz that's easy. Week 8, if he's not in the building week 8, his contract will not move forward. So, I mean, meaning that the Chiefs would have him in the exact same spot 
<clears throat> for an entire another year. He, he, without his contract, if he doesn't show up by week eight, his contract literally will just go into pause, and that'll be it. And, and so he never escapes the situation he's in now. And frankly, this is getting to the front part of your question. This is the thing I don't understand. So if you take Chris Jones's, um, it, it, he look this first of all this desire he had a great year last year. I don't want to minimize that, but I really think part of that year was because he showed up to camp and he worked his butt off. I mean, he worked so hard in camp last year. I thought this year, you said you thought, you know, in OTAs, I thought really that he was just trying to get out of camp. So I thought when camp was over, he'll show up, they'll get this deal done. And when that didn't happen, I had a conversation with a very important person in the, in the uh, building and he told me that they weren't talking. It was like, oh, this is not good at all. This is a real situation. This isn't just Chris being, you know, lazy or not wanting to show up to camp as a vet because a lot of times that's the case, right? But if you think about the, the scenarios here that play out, there's four or five of them, but only one of them is in Chris's favor. All the other ones are in the Chiefs' favor. They have shown a history, as you mentioned, they've shown a history – of not mortgaging the future for today. They won't do it. They haven't done it previously. Why would this be any any different? He's already the second highest paid chief behind Patrick Mahomes that there is. And, and by the way, Patrick Mahomes is now the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league. How about that? Are you telling me there's nine other quarterbacks that are better than Patrick Mahomes? I don't think so. So I think Chris has got to get over this, I want to be the highest paid guy. And, and he's recently said that's the case. He doesn't want to... You know, he wants to make this, he wants to be the second highest paid guy. But I think if you look at the scenarios that play out here, let's just say he's going to hold out to week eight. And the first seven weeks of the season, the Chiefs go five and two. I would pull the offer. You've proven you can win without him. Why would right. you, why would you, you know, do a deal that you thought you needed when you don't now realize you don't need it? That's not good for Chris Jones. The, the fact that he's arguing over 6 to $8 million, and by week eight, he will have spent $10 million in fines and, and loss of salary, the math doesn't work. The, the only scenario that really works here is that the Chiefs literally go two and five in those first seven games, and it's because of Chris Jones, where the defense is just allowing 30 and 40 points every week. That's the only scenario I can see really being in his favor that's going to bolster him from where he's at right now to where he, where the Chiefs would say, all right, all right, all right, you know, we, we'll do it. And I'm not even sure then they would do it. It's just there's too much history. So to me, that line is in the sand. I really don't think there's much wiggle room here. And especially from what I know of the contract details, it's an incredible contract. If he plays out this year and were to get injured, he would lose a substantial amount of money compared to a, the contract and the guarantees that are in his this renegotiated offer. And so in my opinion, I would not just play out this year either and hope for the best in free agency. But, but you look at, and, and I guess this is really the big thing for me, Chris Jones, if, he, if the chiefs trade him, they're going to trade him to a team that has a struggling defense. There's no question about that. Probably not even contenders. That's why that team will be willing to pay so much money. So in that situation, you compare him to go to like say the Arizona Cardinals and he finishes out the last three years of his career on a team that's below 500. 
I, ju- I realize I just indicted the Cardinals, <laughs> but, but play my scenario out here. So versus playing with the Chiefs for the next two or three years and maybe winning another Super Bowl, is Chris Jones flirting with his Hall of, Flame, Hall of Fame induction? I think he might be. Yeah, it's it's hard, Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, because Chris Jones has, you know, been as one of the most impactful defensive players in the game. He is he is a lot of fun to be around. Fans love him. I get it, but you know, the Chiefs have this it's a, it, you know, it's a luxury, but you know, when you're trying to do contracts, it's maybe, you know, it just complicates things. Your window is as open as long as 15's there, and the Chiefs are going to do everything they can to protect him. You know, it, it's a luxury for the Chiefs that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are willing to play for less than worth. I mean, that's let's not yeah. not every team gets that opportunity. But you've got a couple offensive linemen that are going to be free agents in a couple of years, and that I, I just think that the Chiefs are telling us they're look at what they've invested in the offensive line. They're not going to let things disrupt. Patrick Mahomes and protecting Patrick Mahomes, they're just not. And so it is sort of in balls in Chris Jones's court a little bit, it feels like. You either take it or you don't, because I don't I haven't thought for a long time that the Chiefs are going to waver off what's already there. That's the way I feel as well. I mean you and not only have the Chiefs demonstrated they don't they're willing to let go of this talent, but they've also demonstrated they can win without him. They won a right. Super Bowl without Tyron Matthew. When they won a Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill, when people said we weren't even going to, we were going to come in fourth in our division without Tyreek Hill, we didn't miss him in the slightest. I mean, yes, that there's some excitement level that came down because there weren't those huge plays, but the Chiefs won a Super Bowl here, and so I, I think you, is, if I'm Chris Jones, I would be saying, you know, can they can they reinvent themselves yet again for a third or fourth time here? And prove they don't need Frank Clark. Prove they don't need, you know. I just, I think it's, uh, I think it's a dangerous, dangerous game, and especially when you're talking about your grandchildren's grandchildren's money. Chris is not going to spend that money. He, he'll, he can't even spend the first eighty million that he wants, let alone the last six. So I feel like, you know, from a lifetime, you're talking about money that's generational wealth. It's not money you need to put food on the table, and. I just think that's uh, – and I don't want to call it greedy because, you know, that's not fair either. These guys, they have a very small window to make their money. But I also have always felt about – with regards to the NFL, players feel like they should be able to play in the NFL and in three or four years make a lifetime of earning when, you know, they'll make more in one year than people will – some people will spend working 10 hours a day for 40 years. And so there is a little bit of an entitlement there that you just got to let go. And I think that's where you see a Mahomes and you see a Kelsey with really healthy, healthy perspectives that, you know, hey, we want to win a Super Bowl. We want the team to be great. And along the line, I heard Kelsey say the other day, I, I make plenty of money. I, I'm well taken care of. I don't need to be. And I thought, yeah, that's really the attitude. And, and somewhat surprising coming out of Kelsey, too. He's just matured to a level that, Chris hasn't quite gotten there yet. And the whole thing is just really frustrating because this is, uh, you know, it's just one of those situations where it feels like it's going to become a Le'Veon Bell. And two, three years from now, I think Chris is going to look back. If he doesn't make good decisions here, he's going to look back and go, yeah, I didn't, I shouldn't have done that.
Well, and he's had the big contract, right? They've given him one big contract. That's, right. that's I think that's the yeah. other difference than what we're but, – but let's be real. Like, football players are, compared to basketball and baseball players, criminally underpaid for the length of career. But that's not – you know, that's not Brett Veach's fault. That's the right. CBA's fault, I suppose. Uh, but, you, you know, like – it, we'll see if they have Chris Jones. They're not going to have him Thursday, Dan. And that's also really interesting about this situation because they open the season with a team that would just absolutely love to run the ball. It feels like, you know, 35 times in this game with the lions right. who have, you know, invested a lot in that backfield. Uh, they're, they're thin at wide receiver right now. Like, you know, they want to run the ball. And so here we go right out of the gates for the chiefs without Chris Jones they, they play a team that is going to, I think, test that early on because that's what every team wants to do against the Chiefs, of course. But the Lions have sort of built themselves that way with a coach that would love to do it. And I think Dan Campbell came out and kind of gave the blueprint for every team we're going to play in this situation, which is even if Chris Jones is in the building, they don't have to worry about him until he gets there. And even when he gets there, they know at the, at the beginning of that, he's only going to play 15 or 20 snaps and it's only going to be in third down. Right. So yeah. they, they really the preparation, it, it, it hamstrings the Chiefs in, in several ways. But again, you know, I think we play a couple of games here and the Chiefs do well. Uh, it's going to change things. I, I do think the Lions are going to be tougher than people think they are. If they pick up where they left off, which was winning eight, I think, of their last nine games. This is going to be a tough game. This is going to be a game where you do need Chris Jones, as you just stated. And so uh, but, you know, He's not going to be there this week for sure, and, and the Chiefs are going to have to figure out a way to make this happen. We didn't see a whole lot of alternatives, strong alternatives at camp. Uh, I don't want to say there was nothing there, but they got a long way to go to to get to a level of a Pro Bowl player for sure. Yeah, and, and let's talk about the Lions. Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. You know, their problem early in the year last year was they had like a, a historically bad defense that got better, but I know they want to run the ball. That's, you know, to me, it's a it's a game for the Chiefs, and they've done this over the years in September. Come out of the gates hot, get a couple touchdowns in your first three drives, put the pressure on them, and the Chiefs have an opportunity to control this game. But if they let the Lions stick around a little bit, it could be trouble. It feels like this is one where they kind of got to get ahead early. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, they're, the Lions are that kind of blue-collar, dirty, tough Steelers of the 70s team. And it, it that – that kind of gets fueled when you're in it midway through the third quarter. You know, if, if there are two, if there's a two touchdown lead at the end of the first, that's a whole different guys will quit on that. Uh, I don't think our guys do, and maybe their guys won't, but typically what you see is, you know, you get out to a good start and you hold it. Uh, you can, you can kind of control those guys, but man, if they hang in there I, and this thing comes down to the fourth quarter it's going to have to be one of those Mahomes miracles again because I really feel like they'll control the ball. They'll, keep, they'll mitigate Patrick Mahomes just because he's going to be on the sideline while they run the football up and down the field. What do we think of this wide receiver room? I, it, it sounds like maybe Kadarius Tony will play. Um, I'm interested there. Did you see enough, you think, in the preseason that we feel one way or the other, whether Tony plays or not, you know, fine about the wide receiver room at this point? Well, I, you know, I think what's interesting about this, I would say that my opinion coming out of camp, I thought Sky Morrill had a really healthy camp. Uh, we still see flashes from Watson that there could be something there. He's just not consistent enough. 
I feel like Rice uh, has a lot of talent, but, you know, he dropped a wide-open pass in that last game. I mean, I think I could have caught that football. So, I think he dropped two of them. One of them is just – there was so much touch on it, it was it should have been catchable. But I, I feel like, you know, I would say there wasn't a strong number one coming out of it. MBS, you know, is MBS. And, you know, what we've seen out of these guys, it doesn't seem like anybody's rising to the top of that. However, that's exactly the way we played the entire season last year. So when you take that into consideration – I feel a lot better about it because there is a tremendous amount of talent in that room. And if Mahomes continues to make good reads and throws the ball around to the, you know, 13, 14, 15, I think in one, one of the preseason games, he had 16 receivers he hit. How do, you, how do you hit 16 guys? And so if he continues that, there's enough talent in there that the wide receivers definitely are going to be able to get the work done. I, I do feel that because I, I think Sky Moore's emerging. <clears throat> I think these guys will continue to figure out how to play, not only against defenses as they go deeper and deeper into their careers, but they're going to figure out how to play with Mahomes, which is a trick, right? I mean, that's why we see this synergy between Mahomes and Kelsey because they literally think the same way. And I think I've told you guys before, I went up to them, uh, each of them in a locker room once about – I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, and I said, hey, why, you know, I know the play, when you ran that, you know, 23 right shift, I said, you threw it left instead of right. It always goes right. And Mahomes said, well, I thought, I just had a feeling Kelsey was going to break left. So I went over, I immediately walked from his locker to Kelsey's locker and said, what made you break left instead of right? He said, I just felt like Mahomes was going to throw it left. I said, okay, you can't, you can't beat that. And so as these receivers mature, and they learn how to play with Mahomes at that level, and they learn how to read defenses and get separation, I think it'll, I think it'll be a, a better-than-average uh, situation. I don't think we're going to be going, who's the number one? I don't think we're going to care because every game, Mahomes is going to spread the ball around to seven, eight, nine different receivers. So I think when you combine that with him throwing out of the backfield to, to halfbacks and you know the, the running back room is as sound as it's you – know, I, I love watching Pacheco run, man. I just I've been doing this 35 years, and outside of Barry Sanders, I don't think I've ever really looked at a running back. And I love Jamal Charles too. Jamal is a, a heck of a runner, but I, there's something about Pacheco. And so as they kind of this offense comes together, I think the the receiver room going to be more than adequate for sure. Yeah, and you brought up Pacheco, which is I, Pacheco. I love the way he runs too, but I have a hard time imagining him you know, the way that he runs being available in 17 games, they didn't keep a lot of depth at running back. They only keep three guys on the roster. It kind of tells me, Dan, kind of what you were talking about was spreading the ball around. I feel like even as much as the Chiefs throw the ball, they're sort of telling us with this roster that they're going to throw it even more than we've seen them throw it because they kept a ton of receivers. They've got versatile guys. I, I don't know that they, you know, with Pacheco a bit of an injury risk right now, they didn't keep a ton of depth there. I think they're going to throw it a ton, like even more than normal with the Chiefs. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I mean, I think when you when you make a final cut and there's not a fullback on that squad, you're really <laughs> telegraphing that, right? You're saying, hey, we're not even going to carry a fullback. So the, the running backs are going to be on their own. How much can you subject any? I don't care who it is. 
how much can you subject that guy to, to having a block for himself? I think that's a really tough – and I think the running back positions is a brutal one anyway. There's just – it's hard to get through the whole season with that, no matter how you run. And so you're right. I, I think if, if you ask me what concerns would you have on the offense right now, I would say it's running back depth because I don't think we'll get 20 games out of one guy no matter what it is, and no matter how little they're going to run the football enough to subject him to, you know, getting hit and tackled and beat up. And so if we, if we do that again, and I do think, you know, that's probably why they kept Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that's, you know, part of the design is they know what they can get out of him. But he's been a little bit of a changed guy, too, since that injury, just mentally in my mind. So we'll see what comes of that. But I think that's a bigger concern, actually, than the receivers because they kept so many receivers. Somebody is going to, you know, is going to work out of that group. All right, Dan, uh, we are we're almost there Thursday. What do you guys have coming up special on this first regular season broadcast of 2023? Well, I thought we'd have uh, a special guest. Uh, he runs the National Football League. Roger Goodell is going to join us Thursday. So. Oh. I think uh, talking with the commissioners, uh, he's a super bright guy. I know a lot of people don't like him, but he is a super bright guy. And I love just you can throw any question at him, and he'll respond with candor. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't ask to submit a, a line of questions for him to prep. He just takes it as they go. I, I, so I love talking with Commissioner Goodell. I think it's going to be fun. But it's here, man. I mean, all that preseason angst is let's get it over with. Let's get to the game. We're going to open the entire season, and I think that's – as much as – look, I want a Super Bowl ring. I like the banners they're going to raise on Thursday night and all that stuff. But everybody's going to be watching you on Thursday night. I think that's just – you know, this is a, a seminal moment for the 2023 20, season is the opener, and it's us. And hopefully it will be a, a victory against the Detroit Lions. You'll hear the Chiefs radio network over on KNSS, 1330 AM, 98.7 FM. Dan, uh, appreciate you coming back on with us this this year on Sports Daily on Tuesdays. Looking forward to the conversations, and have a good call on Thursday night. Thank you. Appreciate it. Go Chiefs. There goes Dan Ezreal, the executive producer of the Chiefs radio network. Really good and interesting thoughts on the Chris Jones situation. If you joined us late, you'll be able to go back and listen to that for free at kfhradio.com. Do that. Tommy and I can react to that. We're going to get into KU's opener last week and look ahead a little bit for the Jayhawks as well. We're making our way through uh, a Tuesday edition. Hope everybody had a great Labor Day holiday, by the way. On the way out, Chad, let's do some Pentatonics tickets. Uh, Third caller, our final pair of tickets to the most wonderful tour of the year, which is coming to Intrust Bank Arena Tuesday, December 19th. Tickets are on sale. You can win your pair right now, our final pair. Pentatonics, third caller. We'll be right back with more on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back. Great stuff there with Dan Israel. Uh, it's uh, it's a uh, it's interesting to hear the perspective on Chris Jones. Dan, of course, you know, simply works for the organization as part of the broadcast. I, I know that frustration is being felt. Uh, so it's, you know, not surprising to hear the frustration there about the, the Jones situation, but we'll see. I think he brought up interesting points about leverage, Tommy. Chris Jones is going to lose all his leverage now, the longer this goes, unless the Chiefs just 
really, really struggle out of the gates, which is hard to imagine that they will. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure that really leverage is anything that Chris Jones really cares about right now. Like, to me, it's pretty clear that there's a number that he wants yeah, but uh, that he feels like he deserves. The leverage I don't to think get it really, that number. But what I'm saying is that I'm not sure that he really necessarily cares about that leverage. Like, it, if he cared about the leverage, then you know there would be some negotiation tactics. I think that the bottom line is that the number, whether or not he thinks he's going to get it or not, I think he's going to hold on to that. And I don't think it really matters if there's leverage, you know, from his position or or, or not. I just don't think he's going to get it. But like it's he, yeah. he's not going to get it from the Chiefs. So you know you're going to just cost yourself all this money by not playing that that's what I mean like the Chiefs aren't going to just all of a sudden cave like nothing that's going to happen here early is going to make I I I don't think so uh you can go back and listen to that kfhradio.com all right let's talk about KU here Tommy they looked you know I when when we saw the the you know the Houdini on on a quarterback with Jalen Daniels where he was warming up and he just didn't play. And it was the Jason Bean game at that point. And Bean was, you know, Bean was fine. He, he completed 22 of his 28 passes. I thought, you know, with that considered that this was a totally fine outcome for KU, they ended up winning by 31 points. They got a late touchdown there. That line ended up being 32. I was actually, I took Missouri state when I saw it at 32 and, and the reason was, I was like, even if Jalen Daniels plays, I don't think there's any chance he plays a whole game. And they, boy, they barely covered it, but they did. So I thought for KU, that was a, I, I liked it. I mean, Bean was there. Glad they have Jason Bean. Uh, the running backs now with Devin Neal uh, leading the way look good. They they had three running backs. Really, I guess they had four running backs. Sevion Morrison, I missed late, but it looks like it's Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw. Dylan McDuffie, the transfer in, looked pretty good on his touchdown run. Uh, you know, I think KU's where they need to be. I didn't – maybe you did, Tommy. Did you did you ever see a, a why Luke Grimm came out and if that's any sort of long-term issue? Um, basically, from what I heard, he was banged up during camp. And uh, and so there's my, there might have been like a re-aggravation of, you know, kind of what he had dealt with throughout camp. Does it sound like it's anything like majorly – uh, concerning for the Jayhawks. Um, but, I mean, going back to what you said before, I mean, I think that they, it was fine with Jason Bean. We know who Jason Bean is. We know what he can do, and we know what he can't do. Uh, and so I thought that it was it was okay. They did not play a great first half. They came out in the second half and, and really, yeah. um, I think, turned it on a little bit, which was good because, you know, they were, I think, only up by a touchdown at halftime. Is that right? Or, I mean, they, they really... They, it really wasn't a huge dominant first half performance yeah, by the Jayhawks. Seventeen to ten, they really kicked it into high gear in the second half, and and that's okay. Um, you know, good warm up, I think, uh, matchup for the Jayhawks. But they've got to get Jalen Daniels back in there if healthy. Um, they've got a bigger matchup against Illinois this weekend, uh, and so you'd love to have Jalen Daniels available for that because Illinois' defense is really good. Well, and that's, you know, that it's the Jalen Daniels question now because I do have some concern there if it's being against a really good defense, but they can run the ball. And, you know, with Graham and Daniels and all these early things, it is a little bit, you know, a little bit troubling there. Um, I, you know, the defense, I think you would hope looked a little better, but they, they it did. got it, it looked down. better on Friday. I mean, they, you know, especially like stopping the run, 
they were better stopping the run, I feel like, against Missouri State than I, I agree. Really, when the, the game the first started, I was like, uh oh, the defense isn't gonna be any good again. But they I thought they did a nice job of just getting into form where we thought they need to be and and so now it's like, okay, let's see the next one, right? Like and and that's what we'll get because if that's the thing. Like I, I think KU's offense is going to be if not where it was last year, at least, you know, close to where it was last year. And and how good the defense can be may be the difference in whether they're a four win team or a seven win team. I mean, it you know, that's that's the thing. And we're not gonna get you we'll see it against Illinois, certainly more than we did against um, you know, against uh Missouri State, but I, I thought it was fine. You know, I, I'm not coming out of it like the K State game came out of it and like, man, that was fantastic. I don't know that I'd I don't know that I came out of the KU game that way because it's but it's only because it started a little shaky, right? It it finished fine. Like it finished where you'd want to see it finish. Yeah, and you know, knowing that they're gonna be playing an opponent in Illinois, uh, who I mean, you know, Brett Bailima is is a good coach and has been around for a, a long time. Uh, and has the, this Illinois team, I know they they fell down in their opening game, early came back and, and won. They're not a great offensive team, Illinois is not, um, but they do have a really solid defense. And so, you know, I wonder really what we're going to see from Jalen Daniels. And Lance Leipold yesterday in his media session said that Jalen Daniels had the most reps that he's had, uh, you know, since he has been dealing with this back injury. Um, and, and so I wonder, number one, if we'll see him, and number two, how effective he will be if we do. And, and so, well, and there could I be. Just, don't you I, think? My, what, my biggest no matter concern, what though, they say Jalen Daniels may have sat just to prepare for Illinois. Sure. And my biggest concern, though, is that you know it sounds like this injury that Jalen Daniels is dealing with is a lingering thing, and you know how long are we going to see this into conference play? Is it going to be? the prevailing storyline in every single game as we go through the season. And if so, I mean, that's really where, you know, I know you mentioned that the defense is going to be the difference between four wins and seven wins for the Jayhawks. I think it's going to be how healthy Jalen Daniels is game in and game out. If Jalen Daniels isn't healthy, then like an evaluation of KU isn't going to be fair because like we have to make it with Jalen Daniels as the core, but I'm with you a tight back. I mean, for a guy that's going to need to run to be the best version of himself, that's not reassuring, certainly. One thing that I think it was last week that Lance Leipold said that was interesting was, unfortunately, this is something he's dealt with his entire career. So maybe it's something he knows how to work through. Maybe they were just being as cautious as they could be. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't play at all against Missouri State. I hope that it's because they were just holding him out and wanted him to be even healthier against Illinois. And it wasn't that. He was actually hurt and couldn't play. Like, I hope that's not the case because that is right. very concerning, obviously. The good thing, though, is that, you know, they do have an effective run game. Devin Neal, his first carry of the game, you know, broke off for a, for a touchdown. And so continuing on what we saw Devin Neal do a year ago, Daniel Hyshaw, before he went down, with his hip injury last season was probably the best running back that the Jayhawks had. Um, And, and, you know, the fact that he's back and and healthy, it looks like, I mean, they've got a lot of talent running the football this season. And, you know, so that's good. And that's going to be able to take pressure off of whether it is Jalen Daniels or Jason Bean, that helps a lot. The, the other thing though, to keep in mind is that and we had this conversation, you know, last hour in regards to Will Howard and Avery Johnson, 
you know, we know that Jason Bean is capable. He's not, his ceiling is not as high as Jalen Daniels. We know that, but we also know that in a situation where, whether it's a Jalen Daniels injury or a change of pace type situation, Lance Leipold feels confident putting Jason Bean out there to do a variety of different things. So I wouldn't be surprised, even if Jalen Daniels is a go against Illinois on Friday night, if we still see Jason Bean running some packages out there on a couple of different drives, doing some different things, you know, so I think that, and I don't think that that's just going to be exclusive to an Illinois game, or even if Jalen Daniels is dealing with an injury, I think even if Jalen Daniels is 100% healthy, we'll still see Jason Bean in some variety of ways. If if they get out to a twenty one nothing lead and it's the second half, they're probably going to pull Jalen Daniels. Yeah. I I would. It's interesting that Bean came back. I I think that's also something that maybe we should have paid more attention to, right? What that's because none of us thought he was going to, right? We thought he'd go on to a, to try and be a starter somewhere, but he came back. Which, yeah, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Tommy surprised everybody. Yeah. So when that happens, like we were just like, oh, that's cool. But I wonder if it's like, no, conversations behind the scenes are. We're going to need you like Jalen's this issue is an issue and we're going to need you this year like that. It makes me wonder about that, too. And, you know, I guess in those cases, it's just like, okay, fast start, like fast start against Illinois. Let's see if they can get that done. But if if not, it's going to be a little troubling. And again, pressures on the defense, which can't have happen if you're KU. You can't get behind early in that game. That would be, you know, that's not the game script. So for this like high flying KU offense, it's like, can you? you know, kind of keep Illinois off the field for a minute. Not know. I mean, I don't know how you could have any confidence in Jalen Daniels' health right now, right? He didn't play against Missouri State when we thought yeah. he would. I that, that to me, It's not like I can't sit here and be like, oh, well, now he's going to be good. No, I think he probably isn't going to be good again and may not be ever this year. I mean, I think that – I think it's totally responsible to wonder – if Jalen Daniels will be fully healthy at any point this season, because I think that there's been enough there that could tell us no, that that he won't be. And great, but I'm, I'm not glad sure. Jason Bean's there too. But it is, it is an elephant in the room right now. I'm not sure that we're ever going to really fully know that, though. I mean, you know, I think that there's a, a real scenario that plays out where he's never 100 percent healthy, but and even in the games he's playing in and being effective in. We we may not know. We may not know that. Like, if this is something that Lance Leipold has said that he's dealt with his entire career, how many different times has Jalen Daniels had a tight, sore back and went out and played great? You know, so I think that even though that it, there is the potential for this to be concerning, for it to linger throughout the entire season into conference play, it I did feel a little bit better hearing from Lance Leipold that it is something he's dealt with his entire career because that means he's played through it before. And not only has he played through it, more than likely he's been effective and has done really great things even while dealing with it. There are varying degrees of that. I think it's a problem, but it's reality. So just let's refocus a little bit. And, you know, as we evaluate KU, until we see Jalen Daniels come out and ball out like he did last year, He's not like I'm not going to feel good about it if he does it for a half and then comes out. It tells me, well, he's still trying to get back to full health. And so we'll see again. Jason Bean being there now feels like a blessing for sure, because, you know, certainly is he like all conference good? No, he's not. But he knows how to run this offense. He's been with the team for a long time. He will keep them where they need to go. They need to run the ball. 
and and hopefully they play better defense than they did a year ago. But a good start. All things considered, a good start to the season. They get another Friday night game for whatever reason that makes no sense to me. Uh, they'll do that against Illinois. I think they're wearing like black uniforms. Uh, I like the uniforms. I like the yeah. subtle change to the uniforms they had on last week. They and look the really black good. will be fine. But just like I don't, I got I don't love the font that KU uses. Like the font, you know, the main font, font that's in the end zone. It just yeah. to me, it all, it never like it always looks a little funny. And it's not like they don't put that font on their basketball jerseys or anything. So like I don't like that font. So the fact that they went to like a, a, a more of like a brick font looks better to me uh, in a conversation people probably don't care a whole lot about. I, I did like the new uniforms, though, just as an aside. Yeah, I like the black ones a lot. I think it's going to look really good this weekend. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the different uniform combinations that KU historically has. I mean, even in the days when they were really, really, really bad, at least you could hang your hat on the fact that they were going to have cool-looking uniforms. So that, that was always, like, what I, I got excited about, you know? I'm usually more of a fan of, like, just – Keep it simple and do your thing, K-State style, right? Like, if you're ever going to change it, if you're K- like if K-State wore a black jersey or something, somebody like, oh, okay, maybe. But, yeah, no, I, I'm more of a traditionalist with uniforms usually, but KU changes them so often, I don't even know what traditional is for them. So I, these I happen to like. Uh, 869-1240 is the number to call. You can get in touch with the program on the IHOP hotline. Oh, man. Lots and lots of amazing football and other things happening. We're so excited about it. How about Cole Reagans as we've been paying attention to football, getting the American League Pitcher of the Month and then followed it up with another great performance. Uh, We'll look around baseball a little bit when we return on Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily. Uh, Cole Reagan's Tommy has continued to be awesome in a you know in a season that will we'd like to forget for the Royals. Uh, you've got that. You've got Bobby Witt Jr. But you know a trade that looks like it was a, a very good one for the new regime. The biggest one that they've had the opportunity to make, and you know they 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 hit it out of the park. Cole Reagan's looks like the real deal, man. He looks fantastic. Yeah, I'm not sure that anybody thought that it was going to be quite this good with Cole Reagans. I mean, he's the American League Pitcher of the Month for the month of August. Got that scoreless inning streak going on right now. I mean, he's out there he's out there looking like a, a potential Cy Young caliber type guy. Like, not this season, but in the future. He looks like an ace of a rotation. Looks like an opening day starter. Um, I mean, I, I'm hopeful that this will continue. And I, I, I can't imagine that he'll be able to continue at this clip like this. For a long time, Uh, but I think that he can still be a really valuable piece of that rotation, and it gives you hope that they've actually got somebody that can anchor that pitching staff for the future. Yeah, he's not he's not going to win a Cy Young. He's not going to continue this pace, but both of those things can be true, and he could by far be the most effective pitcher they've had in a long time. So, like. That and to get him for a role as Chapman, who was a rental, a very short term thing, is a very, very prudent move. And like 
from the Rangers' perspective, the Rangers didn't do the wrong thing. Like, I don't sit here as a Rangers fan. Even watching Aroldis Chapman absolutely melt down, along with everybody else in that Rangers bullpen, by the way. Uh, don't get me started. It wasn't a bad decision for the Rangers. They, they, and, and I say that because the Royals went and identified the right team, right, for a variety of reasons. Okay, who is desperate here for a guy like Aroldis Chapman? Well, okay. Who needs a reliever the most? Rangers fit that profile. They also fit a profile, too, Tommy, of a of a team that had a player of Reagan's profile sort of blocked, right? Like ready to pitch in the big leagues, but nowhere for him to pitch on the big league roster. And it's like, you guys, you really need to roll this Chapman. Why don't we just do it for Reagan? Straight up, simple deal. And that's their minor league pitcher of the year last year. Yeah. And, you know, because they have some higher ceiling type arms they felt like underneath him and at the time they had like six starters they didn't they didn't have a place for him it's like okay well need for need let's go let's do it and so that's that's really strong work by the front office it helps that chris young is the you know general manager of the rangers and has a familiarity with the royals and a good relationship i'm sure but like that's a really nice job for a front office and a group that has taken nothing but beatings over the years and development and all these issues, in the highest profile move they've made, I think, that I can remember anyway, since Piccolo took over with the highest valued trade asset in a guy like Aroldis Chapman, they hit it out of the park. It was a great trade, and I think they yeah. deserve credit for that. They do. Um, there were a couple of other moves that were made at the trade deadline by the Royals that I were widely criticized, and I, I was one of them, like the Nicky Lopez trade. I didn't understand. I didn't get why they made that move. Um, you know, so it, it was a mixed bag for them at the trade deadline. But what they were able to get out of a role, this Chapman uh, and get Cole Reagans back in return, I think makes up for everything else, because that gives you an anchor in a rotation that has needed an anchor for a long time. It, I mean, when was the last time, honestly, that there was a pitcher for the Royals in their rotation that you could count on? like every time out to give you basically a quality start. I mean, minute. it's been a long time. Brad Keller had a couple that... of those stretches uh, yeah. over the nine years. It felt like he's been in Kansas city, but no. And, and, and look, I don't, I'm still not ready to say, and I, and I, I've told you from the day that trade happened that I liked it for the Royals. I'm still not ready to say Reagan's is like a slam dunk for sure thing. No doubt about it front end of the rotation kind of starter I, I'm still not ready to say that but I am ready to say it was a good trade and you yeah know, whatever he ends up being whether that's a you know a number one which is probably not likely or number like three maybe two like that that that's that's a terrific win for a role Chapman who was never going to do anything like it yeah. that like that's why a role Chapman was there to to accomplish what they did and that's good that's reassuring that they went and identified a good trade partner and a good player. That's a good, that's a, you know, it's just, we look for signs of optimism here, and that's a sign of optimism, I think, for the Royals. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll tell you what's on the network tonight. Uh, speaking of the Royals, we'll get you the information there. Congratulations to our giveaway winners, Dixie. Boy, Dixie had a day. 